And we welcome you to the Thursday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Today is the monthly visit of Nan Calvert to the Morning Show, and uh, she has with her a, a very special guest who joined us just in August, but is back for uh, another conversation on a related but slightly different topic. So before we introduce her, Nan Calvert, welcome back to the Morning Show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And tell our listeners about this uh Return invitation to Dr. Marissa Jablonski. Yes, so I was very lucky to have convinced Dr. Jablonski, Jablonski to come back and talk to us today because, as you may recall, she has an enormous resume, shall we say, um, and she is the executive director of the Freshwater Collaborative. But within that purview, she's done a lot uh, in terms of what if impacts water on a global basis. And as we all know, there are a lot of things, but today she's going to talk about the scourge of plastics and um, what we can do to influence people to reduce, reuse whenever we can, and not use plastics um, as often as possible. So that's what we're going to talk about today, something really important, as usual. Absolutely. We want to mention, as far as I know, you also teach adjunct at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in their... uh, uh, in their School of Freshwater Sciences. Mm-hmm. Remind our listeners about uh, when and in, under what circumstances you became so uh, involved and interested in this. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. My work with plastics really started in 2018, although I always say that I was born this way and thinking about the earth and our impact and how we can work with the planet as we move forward. But in 2018, I was serving as a environmental advisor at the United States Agency for International Development. And I was sent on a special assignment by the uh, U.S. Embassy of Thailand to Phuket, Thailand. So it was a collaborative a collaborative project with the Phuket Hotels Association, and this is made up of 65 hotels, and they called us and said, we need a way to reduce our single-use plastics. We are seeing a direct correlation between plastic use in hotels and around the world and ocean pollution, and their biggest concern was economic. If we continue to pollute the ocean, our clientele will not come. They won't surf in the ocean. They won't visit. They won't lay on the beach. They won't pay us money. Mm. And that was their biggest concern. So on my way to Thailand, meaning the two months I, I had preparing for the trip, I tried my hardest to give up single-use plastic and realized that this was a really difficult thing and that I was about to embark in asking 65 hotels to do the same. So I started making social media videos and talking to everybody I could think of to figure out, okay, how can we really eliminate this stuff from our life and still be comfortable, convenient, do our work, but stop polluting. I like to say that I've worked in 45 countries and never have I ever met anyone who wakes up and says, today I'm going to pollute the ocean. <laughs> and yet we pollute the ocean. So it's it's this intertwined, complicated thing, but we can do it. If, if we're working together, we can change. So what exactly were they seeing in Thailand that made it so apparent to them that this was a really serious problem, uh, albeit one that they were maybe not concerned about with 
altruistic intentions. I mean, as you said, it, it was really driven by the reality of economics and the, the well-being of the tourist, tourism industry there. But be that as it may, whatever the motivation, what were they seeing? What was the evidence that was so obvious to them that, that sparked this great concern? Every single morning, they sent their staff to the beach to rake up sometimes, uh, you know, piles and piles of plastic. So this was cigarette butts, plastic water bottles, plastic water bottle caps, mostly plastic bags, sometimes dirty diapers. And if you can think about, you know, a couple of years ago, we learned that the United States ha- had been, we've since stopped, but had been sending our recyclable plastic, put that in quotation marks, abroad to Malaysia, Indonesia, China, to dis- well, to recycle it. Again, that's in quotation marks only to find that they were not able to recycle the quantity or the quality, lack of quality, that we were giving them, which means they were inevitably dumping it. Now, Mm. hopefully, they were dumping it in contained landfills, but that means almost nothing in developing nations that don't have regulations around waste management and landfilling, which means that a lot of that waste ended up and continues to end up in rivers, lakes, oceans, waterways, right? When, and when you think about uh, where does the wind blow solid objects, it always goes downhill, and what's at the bottom? Water. Hmm. So that's why this is such a big deal. And you think about clogging waterways. The work I've done in India, you can see plastic bags physically clogging waterways. Well, what goes on if you have a sewer grate that's covered with plastic bags and then it rains, a flood? So this impacts people, communities. It impacts animals, ecosystems, plants. This is a really big deal. Hmm. When we're talking about that kind of environmental impact, are we typically talking mostly about very visible phenomenon? I mean, everybody can see a plastic bag or a water bottle or whatever. Or are there other concerns that are, in a sense, not discernible to the eye? I mean, plastic infiltration on a more kind of microscopic level. This gets sad really quick, and we've got to flip it to hope pretty soon because, uh, because you are correct. You just hit it on the head. So plastics do not degrade, they simply break down into micro and nano-sized particles. What does that mean? That means that that plastic bag that clogged that waterway will eventually get beaten and torn and ripped into these little tiny pieces that will end up in different parts of of our, well, to be honest, our bodies, into our water systems, into our ecosystems. So recent studies have just shown that we have micro and nanoplastics in our blood as humans and in our lungs and in our different organs throughout our body. Then they've linked plastics to uh, cancer, obviously, and other diseases. It gets really, it's just really, it's a, I like It's like a perfect product, right? It's lightweight. It never breaks. It lasts forever. So the convenience behind plastic is genius. And the issue 
then enters that it's so lightweight it blows out of the back of a truck you know you think about a garbage truck picking up waste in your alley or or in your home it can blow off the top of a landfill and it's almost like it has wings right so we've created there are unforeseen consequences to this creation and the truth is that there's hope we can we can manage waste management we've done this before in our communities so we just need to work together to do better right i probably should have started with this at the outset uh we just are throwing around the term plastic yeah (laughs) and uh is there one thing that's called plastic, I suspect that it's actually a term that's a much broader, more complicated umbrella. And within that umbrella, if there are various kinds of plastic, can we kind of get a sense of which plastics are particularly dangerous or a, a, a an especially acute problem? Sure. There are seven different types of plastic. And if you turn over most single, you, I'm sorry, most plastic items, you can see a little triangle made of arrows with a number in it. And that number defines what it is. And that's easily Googleable. And you can see, you know, number one is PET. And that PET is both the single-use plastic water bottle and also the polyester that's woven or knit into our clothing or can also be used for carpeting. So each one of the seven is a different let's say, chemical makeup. And they cannot be combined and made into products predictably. So if you want to recycle your plastic number one, for instance, your PET bottle, it can become another PET bottle, but it likely will not. And because uh, once you recycle plastic, it becomes less predictable and how it will react and interact with whatever goes inside of it. So the biggest thing with plastic containers for food or liquid are that they can leach chemicals into the food or liquid. So if you start with, uh, I pick on Pepsi, Coke, and Nestle a lot because they really create a lot of plastic waste. Mm -hmm. So each one of their plastic water bottles is a proprietary blend of plastic number one. And so in theory, you should be able to put a a Pepsi, Coke, and Nestle bottle together if they're all plastic number one. However, you think about Don Sani, and that's tinted blue. So Mm. you add that into the mix, and all of a sudden, it's not predictable. And when you have a not predictable material holding your food... That's the biggest concern in our society, right? That's where people say, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to do? So that means then that mixture of plastic may be able to be recycled and made into carpeting, shoes, fleece jackets, uh, this table that we're sitting at. And then the question exists, will it? Will it be Mm. made into those things? Is there a market? Yes. Are there, are there companies, are there enough companies to, to do that? No. Hmm. And why not? The policies don't yet exist that limit the amount of virgin plastics we can create and basically force, 
force these companies to use post-consumer waste plastic to innovate and create two-by-fours. This this technology exists, right? We could be building so many of our things out of post-consumer waste plastic, but it's not yet there. So we keep making new plastic. Mm, We do. And and is it because at the moment it's cheaper to do that? It's way cheaper and it's very easy. Somehow, so this continually confuses me, but drilling for oil, pumping it out of the earth as a natural resource, we, we call those things, right? Which implies that it's only for our use instead of for the the earth's benefit, which is so such a strange um such a strange thing. And then uh yeah, so drilling for oil and manufacturing it into these polycarbonate chains that then get manufactured into and molded into the plastic is easier than melting down plastic and just remolding it. Hmm. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so what that means, in my opinion, is that we are not paying the true cost of these oil-based, often tree-based also, if you're thinking about paper, anything that comes from the earth, we're often not paying the true cost of that item. It's Mm. subsidized in one way or another. You think about, you know, coal, paper, all of these things, yeah. So if we were paying, in a sense, a a logical price Mm. that reflected the cost, this equation would be different. Precisely, precisely. You think about um, when I went to college coal-burning power plants. So coal costs 13 cents per kilowatt hour, and wind costs $2.13 per kilowatt hour. How can wind be more expensive than chopping the top off a mountain, filling in a river, and and mining for coal. How is that possible? It had to do with the infrastructure costs. The Mm. infrastructure of, you know, mining for coal was already in place so they'd paid off all those loans Mm. they didn't have to recreate the the machinery and the infrastructure where they did have to create it and pay off all that stuff with with wind now those prices have changed over the years but that's the example that's where we are with plastics is it's still cheaper to drill because the infrastructure is there drill for oil and create virgin plastics than recycling right before we get into the hope thing, I want to ask you also, um, uh, is it possible to create plastic in a different way uh, that, first of all, would would have less of the kind of impacts that you're talking about, and even down to the whole matter of, of dangerous chemicals and so on? Or is it just a material that kind of is inherently dangerous and damaging to the environment, no matter how you produce it? It's a great question, and it brings in greenwashing. So there are, there are multiple ways to look at this, but I, I see, okay, so if you think about virgin plastic and we drill for oil and then create polycarbon chains, now look at bioplastics. The, the one that's made the news the most is PLA, polylactic acid. Uh, yeah, so they take biological matter. It could be corn, it could be bagasse, it could be sugarcane, and they create those same polycarbon chains. Hmm. So, yeah, and this is just 
multiple carbons put together in a way that creates the feeling of a plastic bag, for instance, right? So it seems like plastic, there. but it maybe isn't actually plastic? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Then, okay, so that's creation of it. So it's much cleaner to create the bioplastics, let's say, or the they're sometimes called compostable plastic. But then you enter into the waste management side, and this is where the greenwashing comes in. So once you have that polycarbon chain... It is recyclable when it's, uh, in theory, when it's made from oil. When it's made from plant, it should, could be compostable. But what we ran into is that it's compostable under a very specific set of circumstances. So in 2018, we started studying this and... It needed 60 degrees Celsius. I can never remember what that is in Fahrenheit. And that is just really, really hot. And so a home compost couldn't quite get it there in Mm. Wisconsin, right? In Thailand, that worked, but not in Wisconsin. It gets hot, but but not quite there. Now, we've made big headroads in the last five years. So we have a lot of compostable or bio or PLA plastics that can and do get composted. Either way, if you're using a single-use item and it says, you know, and it's virgin plastic or it's bioplastic, is it going to the correct waste management stream Mm. that will not do damage to the earth? That's the question every single human, if we could ask it, There it is. Because if that bioplastic ends up blowing off the truck and ends up in Lake Michigan, it will not compost. It will act exactly as if it was a as if it was an oil plastic. Hmm. So it needs to go where it needs to go. Everything does, right? Everything has its place. Absolutely. For those of you just joining us, today is Nan Calvert's monthly visit to the program and uh uh, we are talking today with Dr. Marissa Jablonski, who is Executive Director of Freshwater Collaborative of, uh, of Wisconsin, uh, also an adjunct professor at the School of Freshwater Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. We are talking today about the impact of plastics on the environment. Uh, it's all around us, of course, and something that we tend to use very, very casually and mindlessly and way too much of uh, through the course of our lives. We're going to be talking in a moment about the curbing of of our usage of, of, of plastics. Just yesterday, part two of the program, Nana, I don't know if you heard this, was uh, a conversation ab- about a, a report that just came out called The Aluminum Paradox. And it talks, this report talks about the unintended impact of how we produce aluminum on the environment. And the, f- and the, the reason they use the word paradox in this report is because aluminum plays quite a role in a lot of alternative energy. And we often think of it as as a positive, and yet the way we produce aluminum is a negative. And uh, and until we change the way we produce aluminum, a lot of harm, unintended harm, is being done to the environment. It seems to me plastic, in some respects, is probably a similar kind of thing in which uh, whoever and whenever plastic was invented, none of this was intended, and yet somehow we've run rampant with it, and now here we are with a really serious problem. Exactly. Aluminum is tricky. There's a couple sides to it, and it's exactly what you said. You know, I recently reached out to the aluminum, uh, different aluminum companies, to try to understand how 
how what is the percentage of post-consumer waste aluminum in a, in an aluminum mm. can that's manufactured today and the i got that it's about 60% virgin and 40 recycle recycled and i find that fascinating because in the messaging for recyclability of aluminum is that it's 100% recyclable and that in i think it's 60 days 2 months a recycled aluminum can will become another can. Hmm. And nowhere in there is how much virgin aluminum has to be added to the mix. There's also, you know, yeah, this is, a, it's really tricky. And it reminds me of plastic number five deli containers. The USDA regulates that deli containers are only allowed to have 25% post-consumer waste recycled plastic as part of them. So 75% of it has to be virgin. So if we say, oh, you know, I get this a lot. Oh, I use plastic, but I recycle, so no problem. But the reality is, how? what are you doing to recycle? This means that you're putting it in the recycle bin. What is your municipality doing? What is your local, you know, entrepreneurship in your community doing what's actually happening and it's really hard to micromanage your municipality from a citizen's house right from a citizen's chair so we've got to realize we're in this together we vote our dollar counts it talks all of these things can you imagine i mean we have eight billion people on earth and growing obviously and if we all used our power for good and said, hey, um, at the grocery store, oh, I forgot my bags. I'm just going to bring the cart out to the car because the bags are in the car. This is no big deal. And everyone would say, oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, Hmm. that's great, right? And we offered solutions to each other. Uh, I'll bring my own mug in places. And, you know, people don't know that the coffee cup, the to-go coffee cup, is lined in a single-use plastic. That means it's a multi-material object. It's got paper on the outside, plastic on the inside, it's not recyclable. It's too hard to separate and no one will recycle that. I mean, it's possible, but they don't, right? Mm. And it's not, yeah, whatever. Okay. That being said, when you go to a place, people will say to you, oh, it's paper. It's no big deal. So when I'm at a coffee shop, I bring my own mug or I say, hey, can I have it for here? And then I kind of take a step back and say, just so everybody knows, you know, it's a paper cup, but it's lined in plastic. And so we really let's try and go plastic free. What about it? Hmm. Let's try. Let's we're in this together. Right. Yeah. Uh, some of what you were saying reminded me, Nan, of your refrain about uh, the magical world of a wave, yes. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's you know we are often reminded of the plastic island oh, yeah. floating around in the ocean, and I don't know exactly um, how many square miles it is at the moment. It's growing, but it's not just in the ocean. It's also in the Great Lakes. It's in our rivers and streams. And it happens just as Marissa said. Uh, it blows around and it goes someplace. And it clogs, you know, out um, outflow pipes and it clogs this, that, and the other thing. So we, the thing is, though, just as Marissa said, we can do better. We can do better. When they ask you at the grocery, grocery store, paper or plastic... If you don't have your own bags, then take the paper bags. You can do so many things with those paper bags. Or if you left your cloth bags in the car, just wheel your stuff out and fill them there. You don't 
have to use those plastic bags. So there are a million things that we can do to help combat this problem. Would that it could be that we would no longer have plastics with us? I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the telephone sitting in front of me. It's not a cell phone. It's the kind that has a handset and you put it to your ear and everything. You know, it's all plastic. Everything in this room is some sort of material that's manufactured from petroleum in the beginning. And I think many times people still don't understand where plastic comes from. Hmm. What is it? It's made of plastic. Where did that come from? Plastic. (laughs) (laughs) But it started out as something else. So anyway, I don't want to take the spotlight away, but we can do something about it. We can do so many things about it. Well, let's start talking about some of those things that uh, that people can do. So where do we begin? Right. What I Where I begin is analyzing my life. So when I started, before I went to Thailand and, and did this work, I, I analyzed my life and I broke it up into uh, different parts. So the first was the grocery store shopping. And I looked around and said, okay, what do I buy most of and how can I replace this with reusable containers? So I started talking to the deli. If I if I was going to buy meat, I talked to the deli counter and said, if I give you a container, can you weigh it and add the meat on, you know, on there? Now, this is pre-pandemic, but we're getting back into these types of things, right? So I've talked to my local deli again, and they've said, yeah, we can do that. Just make sure the container's clean, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to bring a dirty container behind the behind the um the glass and i and so yes okay the next is fruits and vegetables can you buy them local if you really want berries is there a local berry farmer or grow your own that you can bring a cardboard box or your own containers from home and fill them up that's easy in summer in wisconsin it's more difficult in winter it's not that you can't have strawberries, but it's just be smart about it, right? Think about uh, your impact. The way that the, – the other thing is motivation. Who cares, right? And the way that I usually get people into a heart space, we think that we make decisions based on our brain, especially as adults, but we still are making most of our decisions, I would say almost all of our decisions, from our heart. So here's a, here's a quick one. What if your name was written on every single single-use plastic? you ever used and then you turned on YouTube and you saw that plastic straw being pulled out of the turtle's nose or you saw the big whale washing ashore in Asia with 80 plastic bags in its belly dead from the plastic you know bags and you they pulled out a plastic bag and it read your name Hmm. if it read my name I would never use a plastic bag again why didn't it read my name? Only because it's not written on the plastic I use. So we can do we can do better, but we have to know that we have that we have impact. Mm. I'm trying to think what else. Then then I went home and well, I let's let's it. Yeah, let's stay at the going. grocery store for a second. There are other things to talk about. Sure. So, for instance, in, in your own life, if I can be this direct, sure. Uh, do you never buy a bottle of water ever? Uh, or or the things that you pull off the shelf, some of which are packaged in plastic and so on. I mean, right. to what extent ha- has this affected the choice of exactly what you buy in the grocery store? And to what extent is it possible for somebody to not ever purchase anything that involves plastic? It's a great question because I think it's impossible. Hmm. So at some point, 
you yeah you turn around and there there is plastic in my garbage can at home under my kitchen sink most definitely so then you weigh out how much and when and why and how and what are my options so it just requires a little more planning Hmm. do i ever buy a plastic bottle of water no i'm trying to think of the if there's any exception if i'm if I'm on a road trip and I'm in a state whose water I can't trust mm. and <laughs> I usually carry a water filter if that's the case. I have a little handheld uh, squeeze bottle water filter from REI and, you know, I think I was in a community with a tin mine, an old mm. tin mine, and I didn't trust it. And so I, so that was years ago and I did buy water and then I turn it upside down and make sure it's plastic one or two. Mm which are the most recyclable. Mm. I use it until I can't use it anymore. And then if I can make it into something, I do. And then I throw it in the recycle bin and say a little prayer that it it actually gets recycled. That's what I do. And I shop locally at farmer's markets, at grocery stores who I know the people and they understand that, you know, I put out a plastic-free video every single day on social media at Plastic Free Marissa or Marissa Jablonski. And so people are watching me. So I can't just, you know, willy-nilly mm. go into, oh, I'm going to throw Trader Joe's under the bus. Trader Joe's is great. Love their food. And everything is packaged mm-hmm. in plastic. It's so frustrating. Mm. So come on, Trader Joe's and Aldi. Like, Aldi's yes. pretty good. But, yeah, anyway. So we can <laughs> do this if we hold each other accountable. I'm trying to think what else. Fruit, I never buy in bags because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, I'll just A leave. bag of apples. I would never buy a bag of apples because I have my own bag. So I'll go for the bulk every time. No exception. I'm trying to think what else. I will take bananas that do not have the cover, the plastic cover over the, over the tops. And then I'm trying to think uh, if there's anything. Yeah. When it comes to then storage in the kitchen, I use a lot of glass jars. Mm. I use a lot of secondhand things that I've gotten from people. So I have Tupperware, but it's secondhand and some stainless steel storage as well. But, I mean, to be clear, not everybody's willing to be as weird as as I am in this way. And, and so you have to balance, right? There are beautifully designed containers if somebody wants to you know, make a fashion statement while they're doing this, that's completely available as well. Hmm. They're bamboo, stainless steel, all (laughs) nice stuff, yeah. One thing that is frustrating, of course, is that once upon a time you would buy a bottle of ketchup and it would be a glass Mm -hmm. bottle of ketchup, and now almost everything that is in bottles are in plastic bottles versus glass bottles. Is there any possibility of shifting that backwards, or is that not likely to ever occur? So that enters into the the really interesting it's a conundrum because shipping glass is it's it's heavier so it uses more petroleum in the truck and it breaks more often so you have mm. you know you have larger waste mm. I've never looked at the studies that show when Coca-Cola was shipping glass bottles across a region like the Midwest what did they spend or how much petroleum did they use versus shipping Oh gosh, the the in order to make a plastic Coca-Cola bottle, now it's just a little coin of plastic that they put into a heater and then 
blow it with hot air that into a mold. That's how they make a bottle. So huh. you can send thousands and thousands of of potential bottles in the in the size of little plastic coins versus having a truck carry, you know, I don't know, maybe hundreds but not thousands of glass bottles, right? So so with ketchup, I agree and can you make your own ketchup? Sorry, Heinz. Yes, but you can. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> so there's things like that that can you just consider alternatives and not to put anybody out of business, but just work with us on this. You know, I buy olive oil in bulk sometimes. I get my mixed nuts in bulk. These kind of things are there. Could we have Heinz be creative and say, okay, I've got this old bottle. How can I refill it? Mm. You know, I get kombucha if i'm not making it myself i'll get a refill at a at a place with a spigot you know and a tap these kind of things so and it creates community that's the coolest part about all of this living plastic free or as plastic free as we can is you start to get to know people it's Mm. as if you know one of the other questions i say is what what did your grandma do and that's a tricky question Mm. i specifically said grandma not grandpa so when we were a plastic-free nation or, or close to a plastic-free nation, there was a woman at home taking care of things. And that is not ever something that I want to go back to. I believe in uh, e- equity and equality and, and how can we work together. But how can we as a family unit consider things together and just say, oh, yeah, I got this covered, you get this covered, and and work as a broader community to refill some of our foods. And hmm. yeah, I always say we're in this together. I mean it. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. We're speaking with Dr. Marissa uh, Jablanski about uh, how to live with less plastic or perhaps even as close to a plastic free life as we possibly can. So outside of the grocery store, mm. what are some other suggestions that you have? So kitchen storage, just considering, you know, and, and cooking, there's a funny story. My dad makes a really delicious salmon with a, with a mayo uh, topping that I love. And I walked in the kitchen one day and he said, see, now this, I have to marinate. It has to be under saran wrap. And he said, what, what could I possibly do? That's the other thing is being open and honest and willing to talk about it. Mm. Do not involve shame or we'll just hide our plastic. So I looked at him and I said, well, is there any container with a cover that would work as well? And he brought some out of the cupboards and said, oh, they're not big enough for this piece of salmon. So I guess we'll just use saran wrap. And then my mom walked in and said, cut it in half. (laughs) Cut Uh. it in half. So we need these minds to, you know, to go together. Then there's bathroom. Bathroom's pretty tricky because shampoo, conditioner, a lot of that stuff, uh, makeup, women's hygiene, a lot of that is is single-use plastic. And there are alternatives, shampoo bars, mm-hmm. there's uh, conditioner bars, there's all sorts of uh, alternatives if you go to the right place. And, and you can um, follow me on social media, I guess, would be one piece of advice. Or check out my website, marissajablonski.com. I have all sorts of alternatives for these things. Then you go to takeout food. Takeout food is probably... Uh, a huge magical part where you can have a big impact because so many restaurants will still give you their takeout in in styrofoam. And styrofoam is plastic number seven. It is extremely toxic to make and extremely toxic to a natural environment. So 
I try so hard never, ever, ever to use styrofoam, styrofoam cups, styrofoam containers. There's absolutely nothing that can be done with it other than landfilling. It's so, it's really bad stuff. So um, bring your own containers. You know you're going to a restaurant. I call it, I have a bag. It's my to-go bag, and it's in my car all the time. My to-go bag happens to have monsters on the outside of it, so I call it my monster bag. And it has multiple to-go containers, a to-go mug, a fork, knife, spoon, a napkin, all the things I would need to have a picnic or to go to a restaurant and take my food away. Hmm. I think it's really important to start normalizing that kind of behavior. It's not weird. It's a really good, positive way to approach leftover food so that it doesn't get into the waste stream and to approach uh, not using plastic. It's so easy to do. Um, And I would like to go to the laundry room just Mm -hmm. for a moment. Mm -hmm. So... Everyone has seen the gigantic jugs of liquid laundry detergent. And I don't know how many of those are used every single day, but they're an enormous amount of plastic. And people will say, I recycle them. But you put them in the recycle bin, perhaps, but now we know that we really don't know if it's going to be recycled. So there are so many alternatives that are convenient You can buy them at Menards. You can buy them at the grocery store, and they are laundry sheets. It comes in a cardboard uh, folder, essentially, uh, and you don't have to deal with that plastic. And they work wonderfully, and there's all kinds of them. So dump the big jugs Hmm. and the pods because they come in a big plastic container and go for the laundry uh, sheets that are in a plastic container. I mean, I'm sorry, cardboard container. My wife just bought those for the very first time Yay! not long ago. And, uh, and yes, uh, I can attest to the fact that they work really well. They're easier to store, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And Yay, Kathy! Yeah, Yay. Yeah, right. <laughs> the other thing to think about is communicating with your city or municipal MRF. Materials Recovery Facility. I went on a tour of the city of Milwaukee's MRF fairly recently, and you see where your recyclables go, and then they tell you where they sell them to. So all glass bottles often go to recycling centers. They you know, grind them up, melt them down, and make beer bottles in Wisconsin. We use a lot of glass for that. You know, aluminum in Wisconsin goes to another place, and plastics go to a company that's that's making you know uh, post-consumer waste recycled desks and chairs and that kind of thing, and they'll tell you the percentage. So you can you can start this these kind of actions from a from a strong ground, knowing okay, in my city this is what happens. Then you go home and say okay, what will go? What do I need to put in the trash, which will go to a landfill? What do I need to put in the recycling center? And then let that impact what you buy at the store, and what you miss. Find local alternatives that you know connect with farmers, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest in terms of the whole realm of trying to uh, affect industry? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the possibility of, you know, Snapple creating something so you can go to a convenience store and not buy a bottle of Snapple, but bring a container and dispense your <laughs> Snapple or whatever it is that you really like to drink. Uh, 
I, I mean, I suspect you have some experience in terms of that kind of, shall we call it, lobbying. Right. Are there ways in which to do that effectively, and are there particular targets that make the, a lot of sense? Well, the first thing to remember is that it is only when we change ourselves that – so if, when I change myself, I can influence my family – my community, my workplace, my city, my state, the region, the nation, the world has to start with self. And we are directly connected. You know, our, what is it? We're six people separated from knowing everybody on Mm -hmm. the entire planet. Mm -hmm. So of our listeners, there is someone who is connected to Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Nestle. And it is my firm belief that if everyone at those places really understood the severity of the issue and mix that with the power they have as an individual human being that those three companies could make gigantic change. And I think they're already working on it. Is it fast enough for me? No, Mm -hmm. nothing's fast enough for me in sustainability. So not to make them the evil, you know, the the enemy in the room, but to work with them. You know, I had a, a hotel staffer turn to me and say, I don't dump my waste in the ocean. My family doesn't dump their waste in the ocean. Who's doing this? And then we started Mm -hmm. looking into waste management and what's going on. Coke, Pepsi, Nestle, if they made a change and reduced single-use plastics or eliminated single-use plastics or recollected their waste, Mm. the whole world would change, right? Mm. So I was telling Nan before we started that municipal garbage, we know where all garbage cans are in every municipality. We really do. There's that's someone's job to go Mm. around and and empty garbage cans and make sure that they're upright and doing everything right. That would be a great collaboration. Pepsi, Coke, Nestle collaborate with municipal garbage collectors and say, all right, We're going to offer money for our bottles back in, you know, we do that in some locations, but that's through the recycle bin, uh, recycling center. That's not through the company who produces the waste. Right. And then mix this with policy. So if Pepsi, Coke, Nestle all worked on waste management and were regulated to do so, so it would be, you know, not just carrot, but stick and the policy was that they absolutely had to take their, you know, yeah, they they make a statement that their waste is worth money. I think that that doesn't work anymore. Sure, if if we had millions of companies using post-consumer waste plastic in their manufacturing, I would agree with that. But we don't. So how can they incentivize that? How can they start companies like that? How can they do this and I hate the they, them versus mm-hmm. me, I, right? But but as individual citizens, our impact is a lot less. Me going plastic-free has, you know, a lot less impact than Pepsi, Coke, Nestle going plastic-free. Sure. Well, of course, and there are certain isolated success stories. I mean, even if they're limited success stories. But the fact that now when you go to McDonald's, at least for the most part, you don't see styrofoam like you once did. Correct. I mean, they have tried to make some shifts, and and perhaps because <laughs> of people at McDonald's that cared about that, but uh, but more likely it's because enough people out here cared about things like that. And imagine now if McDonald's implemented composting. 
-hmm. Imagine if their containers were fully compostable. Mm. You know, I mean, their fry container is paper. And they said compost here. Mm. And we created soil from McDonald's garbage. Mm -hmm. Right. There it is, right? So it's looking (laughs) at the entire cycle. Where does your product come from? Is it plant-based? Is it oil-based? How is it used? And how does it become soil in the future? Hmm. There's the solution. The thing is, and you mention this all the time, we have the power to influence industry to change. So talking about the grocery store again, if you like to drink soda pop, and you know, who doesn't? And you go into that section, there are glass alternatives. Sprecher is bottled Mm. in glass. Stewart's is bottled in glass. There are lots and lots of glass alternatives. What if we put our funds toward those businesses Mm. and Coke and Pepsi and whatnot noticed? Yeah. And they're like, well, I want your business back. Why are you buying that? Well, I want it in glass. Everything we do has an impact, whether it's plastic, glass, or paper. But Plastic has the, or aluminum, but aluminum and, pla- and plastic have the highest impact. Right. There's nearly 9 billion people on the planet. We survived using glass. Clearly, we've successfully <laughs> used glass. We can use glass. Yeah, sometimes it breaks. Just, you know, be careful. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, so you have the power to influence what's going on. Uh, Dr. Jablonski, uh, your website where people can get more of these uh, tips and so on? Is marissajablonski.com. Very good. And over social media, you're making suggestions on a daily basis that I think a lot of people are going to want to seek out. Sure. And that's Plastic Free Marissa, one R, two S's, or at Marissa Jablonski. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, for all the information that you uh, shared with us today, your energy and your passion. We appreciate it. Great to have you here on The Morning Show. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. Nan, some announcements. It is that time of year, and so let's start with Hawthorne Hollow. They are presenting the Haunted Trails of Hawthorne Hollow on Friday, October 20th, and also on the 27th, and they begin at 7 o'clock. So you're going to embark on an hour-long hike filled with spine-tingling adventure on the Haunted Trails of Hawthorne Hollow. The Halloween season, they're delving into the heart of local lore, taking you on a mystical journey through our haunted trails where history and ghostly tales come to life under the eerie moonlight. This is a family friendly event, but it's not recommended um, for children under 10. You get tickets through the website. It's $20 for adults and 15 for people 12 and under. And there will be hot cider and cocoa available by donation. Not to be outdone by Hawthorne Hollow, Richard Bong State Recreational Area is also having um, a Halloween hike celebration Saturday, October 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. You will meet at the Visitor Center and you'll be guided by people from their Naturalist Association for an evening filled with candlelight hiking, s'mores, trick-or-treating, and nature exploration. You can wear a costume if you like, but dress for the weather. It's not a very spooky event, so you don't have to worry if you're easily scared (laughs) at night. Um, And then, of course, Pringle Nature Center is having a Halloween candlelight hike. This is an unguided hike, um, and it does cost $6 per person if you're a member. And I'm sorry, $6 if you're not as yet a member and $4.50 for members. Pre-registration is required by October 26th. It's appropriate for all ages. Um, It's a self-guided, family-friendly hike, um, but not 
perhaps suitable for those who have difficulty navigating trails in the dark. You'll check in in the front of Pringle, um, and there are designated start times, and you'll find that out by registering at the website. And that's it. Fantastic. Nan Calvert, great to have you back on The Morning Show. Look forward to seeing you in November. Yes, thank you so much.